1: This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: Welcome back to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, September 22nd. This is Stephen Nesbitt filling in this month for Derek Van Riper, and I'm joined as always by Keith Law. Keith, how you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're both sore. You were just working out. I was running a rototiller, so whatever. You know, see, classic see Thursday that. stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, on today's show we're going to be uh, getting into Keith's end of year prospect awards we'll touch on some of the news of the week in the front offices and later in the show if we have time we'll get to Keith's latest scouting trip but first Keith your prospect of the year a lot of people don't know this there's a secret formula you use and you just sort of sort by home runs in the minor leagues and you pick the yeah. guy with the most homers right? yep that's it that's totally it but, good job do you know who, do you know who has the most homers? I looked this up so I, I'll, I'll test you
1: in the minors yeah she would have all levels yeah, I don't yeah. think so. Okay.
2: Then no, it was. Uh, congratulations. Uh, go out to Shea Whitcomb of the of the Astros. He was Mister Irrelevant. He was Mister Irrelevant of the 2020 draft, the shortened oh, 2020 really? draft. Yeah, good for him. He was he was one spot ahead of um or behind. I'm sorry, he wasn't ahead of anybody. Behind Gavin Stone, four behind Bryce Elder, 11 behind Bron- Brandon Fott, and none of those guys hit 35 homers this year but that's true congratulations so that's how we wanted to open the show was talk about shea whitcomb uh, no but really your prospect of the year no surprise here jackson holiday shortstop prospect uh now at triple a for the orioles the orioles you know who, who who to pick first you know it's tough uh tough life out there for orioles prospects <laughs> um so number one pick last year is 2023 line 325 443 499 you couldn't quite get into the three four five hundred club for his slash line oh well 11 homers 24 steals and uh almost as many walks as strikeouts across the whole year so incredible season he's having he's already at triple a thoughts on his season
1: yeah i mean i you know holiday for folks who don't follow on the draft side holiday came into last spring as hey maybe this guy could you know with a Good spring. He could you know get into the first round or maybe into the middle of the first round, and he showed up in Arizona and just kind of kept hitting and hitting and hitting and looking better and stronger. And the swing was definitely improved last spring. And then suddenly he was kind of in the mix to go first overall, but by no means not a lock, not a consensus top prospect. I think most of us on the public side had someone else at one. I think Drew Jones was at least the most common. He was one on my yeah. board. Um, And then Holiday just had the best year of anybody, I think, in the minors, especially when you consider age, uh, which is a huge factor, age relative to level. It's a huge factor, at least when I am uh, putting together this particular column. And yeah, to me, um, it's it's particularly impressive to see a kid this young who was in high school a year and a half ago. I mean, the promotion to AAA was just kind of because the season was ending and Norfolk was doing better in the standings. But just to get to AA and continue to produce like he did in AA was really incredible. Uh, it, it really is just an unbelievable year. And, um, I mean, it. it I, I struggle to find words to describe it without making him sound like he's Hannes Wagner and like A-Rod, the prospect, all rolled up together. I don't want to set expectations too high but he kind of did everything right I guess the only thing you could say is he doesn't put a ton of balls in the seats I don't care if he never hits more for more home run power than he has right now it doesn't matter this player is a star I mean good for the Orioles really I mean they just haven't had anybody good come out of that system in a long time so it's nice for them to finally catch a break here
2: yeah, yeah. You also mentioned Kobe Mayo, nine seventy two OP, uh, OPS at Double yeah. A AA and Triple A. Sam Basallo, nine fifty three OPS at Low A, High A, Double A, the catcher. Orioles. It's just, it's, it's a sickening. catcher
1: too. It's yeah. Sick. Now I didn't see. I'm a little bummed. I didn't see Basayo catch. I went to see him, but I only got him hit. Um, it was. Uh, he can really hit though. He's strong. I've heard that catching is not a sure thing. I, again, I kind of don't care. Can he stay back there? Can he be a 40, 45 defender? If he hits like that, I mean, then the Orioles have a separate problem where they actually have a pretty good catcher in the big leagues too. Yeah, heard of him, And then suddenly yeah. <laughs> Basayo is the most valuable prospect in trade, available in trade ever. Uh, not ever, but maybe right now, right there. And that's pretty great. It's also pretty great, again, for folks who don't follow this stuff. The Orioles were out of the international free agent market for so long. And then Basayo was, I think, their first really big signing when they got back in. And it's really obviously, so far at least, looking really good, um, which has got to be very reassuring, especially for the front office when you, you, know, on some level, you had to probably overcome some skepticism about, you know, from ownership or whoever was stopping them from investing in the free agent, in the international free agent market for so long. And I'm going to assume frees you up to do a lot more of that going forward. I
2: should have stressed up top with Jackson Holiday. He's 19 years old uh still and covered four levels of the minors like you said just a, a a cup of coffee at AAA. But uh if you look by WRC+ plus at those four levels, uh it's descending uh as he climbs. 226, 162, 154 and then 100 and, you know very small sample at AAA. Uh so you're seeing a plus plus bat at at all those stages where he had a little more time and and uh Every uh, every stop this year, walk rate between twelve and twenty one percent, awesome. You'd love to see either end of that. Uh, strikeout rate <laughs> between strikeout rate between fifteen and 20 percent. Uh, there, those are also fantastic numbers. Um, so so you mentioned the power. Even if he stays there, he's a he's a, a great player. Um, do you think there's more power in that bat? Would you expect to see more in the future?
1: I do, and not just because his dad had a lot of power, but I, I've met his dad, um, and they're not built quite the same. I think Jackson's younger brother may have a little bit more of Matt's build. Ethan is in the 25 draft class, and my guess is we're going to go into that spring and talk about him as a potential top five pick as well. Jackson is a little more wiry, a little faster, a little more agile, Um, and that may just mean, either the slightly different body type may mean a little less power. He's not weak by any standards. I'm just saying that I don't know if he's ever a 30-homer guy, and I'm not saying that as any kind of criticism. It's just the profile may be very different. It might be – I mean this is probably a 70 bat, and maybe it ends up being more. I just never really ever put a grade higher than that on someone's hit tool. But that's what it's looking like so far, especially if you're really thinking about everything, pure ability to put the bat on the ball plus – approach, understanding of the strike zone, ball strike recognition, pitch recognition. This guy's got a weakness at the plate. I don't think we've seen it yet. Maybe we will see it in the major leagues. Obviously, big league pitching is by far the toughest test any of these guys have to face and the gap between the majors and the minors. I say this all the time. It's as big as it's ever been in my 20-something years in the business. The Orioles saw that quite a bit. Some of the guys they called up this year, like Colton Cowser, hit really well in AAA, came to the majors, totally overmatched. Cowser's a fine prospect, Turns out big league pitchers are pretty good, and they're very good at finding ways to get you out. And once they find one, they will keep doing it until you show that you can make an adjustment. Maybe that'll happen with Holiday. I do think it's kind of telling that he's gotten up this cup of coffee in AAA, at least. We still don't really know what it is. So, you know, maybe he is a high average 40 doubles and it's 15 homers. But for a guy who could play shortstop, maybe he ends up in another position because of the Orioles, but he could play shortstop. He's going to get on base a ton. He kind of does everything else that you would want in a in a prospect, and he's a pretty easy call both for Player of the Year. and He was my number one prospect at midseason over the other Jackson Churio, who's also really good. And I still feel the same way. I think Holiday's a pretty easy choice. I could make an argument for Churio, but I that would be contrarian, and I'm I don't you know I don't like going that way when the evidence really points in one direction.
2: You've said um, in the past that Gunnar Henderson you think could be a, an elite third baseman and he's good at shortstop already. If you <clears throat> once you decide uh when you're the Orioles and you decide Jackson Holliday's ready, do you anticipate that would be him at shortstop and Gunnar moving over to third?
1: I would. Because because I think Gunnar at third is Really elite, like seventy or better defender. And Gunner's been really quite good at shortstop. Also, the Orioles just seem to be very good at defensive positioning. Working with guys are getting better defensively once in that system. I would not discount the value of that. Holiday, I think he played one game at third in at least when he was in Aberdeen where he spent a good chunk of the season and I happened to see it, and he looked like a shortstop. right? He looked like a guy who was, oh, he hasn't played very much third base. They haven't played him a ton elsewhere. I don't know if that was it's his first year, let's let him get his feet wet, or if that was we believe he's a shortstop. I believe he's a shortstop. I could also make a pretty good argument Gunnar Henderson's a shortstop, I and mean, in a vacuum, Henderson would be a shortstop, and we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But the Orioles have such an oversupply of infielders, which also throw Joey Ortiz, who I think is the best defensive shortstop of the group, doesn't have the offensive ceiling of these other guys. Jordan Westberg, who can play third pretty well, I think can play second pretty well, and can play shortstop if you had to, but he's like eighth on the shortstop depth chart in Baltimore right now. So the Orioles are just in a really unusual very fortunate situation with all of these infielders and I don't think there's a wrong choice if they decide to push holiday holiday to third and see what it looks like great no argument but at the same time I think Holiday's probably the better shortstop or projects to be the better shortstop of the two
2: if you had to put on your prognostication cap when do you think we could see Jackson holiday at the major league level
1: The fact that they pushed him up to uh, AAA to end the season does say to me that they're thinking we're going to see him in the early part of next year. I don't think it's opening day. They just don't have the need to, right? Like we were – I was just talking about. I mean you you can see the depth chart as well as I can. You look at the sport nationally. I mean thinking – even ignoring service time considerations, do you see any reasons short of some major unexpected injury why he would make this opening day roster?
2: No, it would just be like we would, we'd like that draft pick if he gets rookie work, work of the year, or top three. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not nothing. <laughs> they're fine. They, they brought up like five infield prospects this year. Like they're, they're doing all right. <laughs> so, no, I, I don't think, I think there is more given the incentives now. There's a higher likelihood these guys um, will be on the opening day roster. But I would guess because he's not really going to get a large sample of at bats, um, that he's probably a uh, look for him in, in, in May or June, and depending on how hot he starts. If he starts super hot, then you just wait, you know, two weeks and bring him up. So, your your runner up was Junior Caminero, uh, third base prospect, shortstop, sort of um, for the Rays, and uh, absurd numbers here as, as well: three twenty four, three eighty four, five ninety one slash line, nine twenty one OPS. Uh, 19 years old again. 31 homers between high A and double A. Uh, this guy had a it's not
1: fair. Not fair that he got kicked to the to the the runner up uh, on the board. <laughs> Sorry, it's tough business, man. Yeah, he can really hit. And as I said in the article, I'm often yeah you know, I don't uh I never tire of pointing out they got this guy in a trade for Tobias Myers from Cleveland and within four months I think Myers was in another organization certainly he didn't last half a season with Cleveland and now the Rays have their best prospect as a result um so I think it is pretty uh you know credit to the Rays scouting pro scouting staff to their front office staff like that's a hell of a job to go get that guy and uh yeah he can really hit he's uh not quite as disciplined um not quite as contact oriented as Holiday. But, you know, in a world where there's no Jackson Holiday and this is your player of the year, that's fine, right? Nobody's thinking twice about giving a guy with this kind of production at that age an honor like minor league player of the year. Uh, He's a corner guy, I think. I mean, he could maybe play second base. He's probably a third baseman. I have had some folks in the industry say that there's a chance he just ends up at first base over time. He gets bigger, slows down. That seems very (coughs) pessimistic to me. But he can really hit. And its hit and power and a good enough approach that that I would expect to get better, given how young he is. Obviously, he got to double A at age nineteen. That's kind of a common thread with a lot of these. My list was very young this year uh, because we had so many of these graduations to the majors, like you mentioned, and um, because the minors are just very young right now. And a lot of this is a lot of this was guys in um, guys in nineteen at nineteen, as young as seventeen, as it turns out getting to double a this season but then at least you can compare them all right who did who did more in high a and double (coughs) a as teenagers and caminero uh rose to the top i even had him on the list over jackson Churio. Churio had a perfectly fine year for a 19 year old actually had a very good year for a 19 year old not as good as the other guys
2: yeah and and the thing you like to see because because caminero had a ridiculous stretch in august um that i think 11 homers i think in the month of august and that sometimes can can mask other problems that are happening under the service, okay, he had a great o p s in August uh, at a higher level, great, great, but you actually look at these, some of the underlying numbers, and his uh, walk right and strikeout right rate right both got better at the higher level too, so like that's the that's the the plate approach things you're looking for, and teams are looking at uh, beyond just what are the results this guy's getting at double A because in the end that doesn't matter nearly as much as as what is the process that we 're seeing from this guy at nineteen years
1: old right, so yeah, otherwise Shay Whitcomb would have made the list
2: eh, there you go um. And I wanted to mention it, the Jackson Trio, who you mentioned briefly in the story, um, uh, was just actually two days ago called up to Triple uh, A to finish out this season. And uh, the overall numbers have been have been great. Uh, he's got a uh, well, have been good actually. Two eighty two, three thirty seven, four sixty nine slash line, twenty two steals. Uh, sorry, twenty two homers, forty three steals. However, if you break it down, first half, second half. Um this is a kid who uh you know very again very underage for the A level. Um before the All-Star game I'm actually including a great last game. He had, I think three hits and a homer in that last game. Um he batted 249, barely cleared 300 on base percentage, 11 homers, 23 steals, um and uh 6.8% walk uh percent and 21.4% uh, K rate. After the All-Star game he batted 324 with a 380 on base. Uh, 11 homers 20 steals same on those uh but uh his walkway rate went up one point and his strikeout rate went down to 13.9 percent that again if you're looking for improvement at a level someone who's very very young uh, age to level um that's uh that's I-, I don't know i don't know can you tell me what happened there like what, how how did this kid turn it around to this extent because that's a ridiculous second half
1: you know I, it's different philosophies of player development also right they're he started the year in double a at 19 it was maybe the most aggressive assignment coming out of spring training at least of any significant prospect i should say and then at the beginning of the year it looked like oh maybe they made a mistake right this good this could be well maybe he's just not ready for this level i don't know right it seemed at least seemed like a possibility and he was kind of up and down you'd see moments he'd have little stretches he was hitting the ball hard he was hitting the ball in the in the air enough. There was certainly I wasn't panicking, but it was oh maybe this guy's just not quite as advanced as I slash the Brewers thought he was. That's fine, it happens. And then obviously he gets to the second half and he makes those adjustments and probably had a little more luck in the second half also. I think both of those things can be true at the same time, where he really did make some adjustments, <clears throat> making more contact I think both in and out of the zone as it was as it turned out and a lot more of those hard hit balls were falling in. So everything did just kind of come together for him in the second half. This is the player I thought he was also. I mean, I'm very, certainly very pleased to see this because I was pretty much all in on him coming out of last season, given how good he was, how uh, and how much upside I thought there still was. I mean, that's the other thing that separates him, even from Jackson Holiday, who has a baby face and some projection left. Jackson Chorio looks like a kid. He is so lean and wiry, and he should put on quite a bit of strength. Um, I think he's going to stay in center. I think he's going to stay fast, but he's going to get a lot stronger before it's all done, which was part of why I thought the aggressive assignment, I thought the assignment to AA was so aggressive because I saw him the last two days I was in spring training at the very end before camp broke, and I thought, he doesn't really look ready for that, for AA. He was playing with the AA roster. That doesn't mean that's where he was going to be assigned, but it looked like maybe that was a bit much.
2: Yeah, as you mentioned, maybe a little bit better luck. He had sixty sixty points more of Bab up in the second half. But hey, he um he it, it put the finishing touches just now on a, a pretty incredible season. I saw in baseball America today. Only four teenagers ever have posted a twenty homer, forty steal season in the minors. Uh familiar name here. Ronald Acuna Junior, Andrew Jones, Alex S es- Alex Escobar, and Jackson Chorio. So that's a, a pretty good season to remember for a guy who I remember at the halfway point was, it was a big question of what's going on with this kid. Like this maybe, maybe, maybe push too aggressively here, but uh, he caught up to things. So l- wrapping up those three elite prospects, um, the three teenage prospects uh, in Churio Caminero and Holiday. <sighs> odds are, are any of those guys on the opening day rosters next year? And so how would you order them in likelihood they break camp?
1: God, I, I would bet none. I would really yeah. bet none of those guys. And I think it this is not at all an evaluation of where they are as prospects. And it is entirely a function of what else those teams have. Just the depth charts, I don't think favor any of those guys. Tell me if you disagree. Certainly
2: not, certainly not Camonero. He hasn't played a AAA yet, too. It's, it's also time. true. Yeah. Which doesn't stop by that many teams, but but still, so I think the Rays will figure. I don't. They aren't the team to rush a rush a, a top prospect to the majors and start the service clock.
1: You know, no, before they're they have to. not. No, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think any of those. And the Brewers have a ton of center
0: fielders. Yeah. they really
1: don't have any reason to rush Churio. They have more center fielders now than that. Well, it turns out you can only play one. Um, so they're. You know Mitchell's coming back. They have Freelick. I don't think so. you know, trades can always happen and create an opportunity. but don't what we know right now, I would bet strongly on none of the three. I, my default answer and who's, clo- who's most likely is holiday because he did play in yeah. AAA. Uh, it just makes it easiest for them to make that decision.
2: Yeah, I I think I would go because you're right. There in in Milwaukee, there is that glut of center fielders uh, that they need to figure something out there. And I don't think he necessarily presents like the immediate offensive impact. I mean, we saw this year he had trouble getting you know spending his tires for a while. I think I'd go Holiday, Camonero, and then. Churio, just because he, the, the Rays, I think, could get creative and let's sign this guy to a big long deal before he ever re- reaches the mainers. They've done that I've, before.
1: They have done um, that before,
2: as it turns out. And so out. let's <laughs> yeah, let's let's get him here at twenty years old. So that could happen and, and again that's an impact bat that for a lineup that has um survived for a lot of years with like a lot of very anonymous guys in that in that lineup and still made it a playoff team. So anyway, I think that would be my that would be my order. But the last one I want to touch on, because there are a bunch of other names in this story, people should go go read it. But you gave the best debut um, of the this year's draft picks, uh, this draft class uh, award to Wyatt Langford. Uh, he has climbed very rapidly up to AAA and batted across four levels: uh, three sixty-seven, four seventy-eight, six ninety-three. Uh, for a 1.171 OPS 10 homers 11 steals this one dot OPS at every level that's a pretty good pretty good start he's gonna turn 22 in November so obviously he's not you know a spring chicken um we knew that coming up is this um I don't know is this ancient he's ancient as a prospect you need to walk Uh, actually to get to first base yeah does does this has this stretch told you anything new about him or changed your mind about anything about his readiness uh, heading into 2024
1: Maybe a little bit because coming out of—I mean, the, the short answer is not really, right? It's just a small sample. It does give me a bit more confidence in what I thought coming out of the springs. Coming into the spring, I had Langford won over Cruz and then flipped them because Cruz got off to a tremendous, tremendous start. It looked like he was hitting even better than ever. Um, and then Langford got hurt, too, and it wasn't really clear— um, and how much that would affect him going forward. I don't think Langford has really run quite as well the rest of the year. Also, there are a lot of questions about can Langford move to center. He's fast enough for center. But he's not a very good defensive outfielder even in left, which is where he played at the University of Florida, whereas Cruz, not as fast, but is already a center fielder and plays it reasonably well. So I flipped them and stayed that way through the draft. I'm probably holding to that, but I reserve the right to change my mind on the order of those guys. And it I, trust me, I did very much notice that Cruz, I saw Cruz in AA in the last week of their season, and he didn't look bad at, at all, at all. But, hey, he might need to go back there next year and, and make some small adjustments. And there is a little bit of a hole there that he's going to have to work on. Like, pitchers have discovered a little bit of a vulnerability there. There is some swing and miss. Um, that said, I'm, I'm still pretty high on him. Now, Lankford kind of going back to what I was saying about Holiday. We haven't seen it yet. I actually thought and heard this from some other scouts this spring who thought Langford could sort of get a little bit too locked into a spe- very specific bat path that would leave him vulnerable, that he was trying so much in particular to loft the ball out to left center, even though he has natural power and he could have 30 homer power pretty easily. That weakness has not borne out at least so far in pro ball, even up through a very brief time in AAA. We'll see. If that carries forward in triple, I'm sure he's going to start next year in triple A. I don't think he breaks breaks camp with the big club, but I absolutely think he gets to the majors before a year is up. I would think both he and Cruz, and maybe even Matt Shaw with the Cubs, all get to the big leagues within a year of the draft. Um, Because those are probably, could put Brock Wilkin in there too. But of the college draftees, the guys who are likely to get there fastest, college position players, those three really jumped out to me as having the best Debuts. Now, a couple of people said, How could you ignore Nolan Shaniel? He's actually in the big leagues. First of all, he hasn't actually played great in the big leagues. He's cr- played great with the context of this guy who was in college five minutes ago. So I'm not denigrating his performance, but I'm just for this purposes of this exercise in this column, it's like, What did they actually do? It's not Shaniel's fault that they didn't let him stay in in the minors longer. Um, he had the fortune slash misfortune to be drafted by an organization that is floundering a bit. So, you know, I recognize that context, but it's hard for me to argue Shaniel had a better year just because he got bumped up to a higher level because he got bumped up to the majors. Obviously, I do think he breaks camp with the big club next year and so he's he is the first and he will he will maintain that lead in service time from the draft class i just think he's going to be joined by several other guys pretty soon
2: yeah to his to his credit he's actually held things together pretty nicely at the major league level with a 400 plus obp um which is what he does what he always did he got on base um but it's it's a different situation he was not called up because he had shown he was ready uh he was called up because he's with the angels and they said we're gonna win this year it's gonna work we just traded for a bunch of guys. So we'll just call by draft pick. And so, anyways, they're headed to the. Actually, I think they just won their division. Um, Champagne celebrated. Um, I'm sorry. That wasn't the Angels. Um, <laughs> that was the other other LA team. Um, from, uh, let's see, from a bunch of, of current top prospects to a former top prospect, Corbin Carroll just, uh, he just crossed the 2550 season mark. He's the 13th player to do that. Um, and uh, he's the first player, according to Sarah Langs, um, first player age twenty three or younger to record a twenty five fifty season since Hanley Ramirez for the uh, Marlins back in two thousand seven. So this rookie season is going to end with a rookie of the year in the National League. It's going to get Arizona draft pick for their uh, for his efforts, and uh, it's it's been a, a very it's been exactly what you hoped and expected to see from a healthy Corbin Carroll this year. Um, so what are, what are some of your thoughts on what he's done for the Diamondbacks and keeping them? Uh, sort of alive from start to finish here
1: yeah I mean that's the big thing right is how much of their success this year comes down to it's not just him it's baseball it's never just one player but they got absolutely everything they could have wanted for from him and then some Um, also pretty amazing for a guy when you consider everything right everything this guy had gone through in terms of missed yeah misses a year for the pandemic comes back plays a week gets hurt almost immediately um and then, you know, last year sort of bashes his way to the majors, but there was still skepticism. He barely played. He's on the smaller side to be hitting for that kind of power. He plays extremely hard, and you know, always worry about Chris Snelling disease—the guy who just can't stop playing hard and then gets hurt very often as a result. Obviously, we haven't really seen that. With Carroll's over 600 plate appearances already this year, it's like you could—you'd have to drag this guy off the field by his hair. So, yeah, he's—he's he's pretty awesome, and I love. Seeing it work out, I love seeing the, the Diamondbacks' willingness to invest in him so early work out. Also, I'm going to toot my own horn for a second. I had him fourth on my draft board that year. He fell to 16th. I'm sure there's some other teams who are wishing they had gone a different direction, shall we say. I mean, Corbin kell was right freaking there. The only knock on him was that he was 5'10". If you graded out the tools, they were all there. I'm like I don't understand. Five ten is not five two, right? If you're five yeah. two, I could understand your criticism. That's not what's going on here.
2: Yeah, the the big thing I've been impressed by this year is is that sort of the slight worry that was present last late last season when he debuted was he's struggling against Velo. He had trouble with some fastballs, and that historically hadn't been an issue for him. And he's completely turned that around, uh, batting 300 on fastballs. And he's just been uh, if you look at Statcast, um, you know first pitch type he's a plus hitter against four seamers sliders sinkers and curves so change up he's had a little bit of trouble with but listen when you're batching everything else I think there's a reason it's playing out in the way where you his um chase rate's great his walk rate's fine his strikeout rate's great uh but his first pitch swing percentage is actually pretty high a few ticks higher than the league average and I think that's when you have I like that when you have a guy with a good plate approach and you kill fastballs then yeah let's go up to the plate looking for that first pitch heater I think that's that's actually showing some maturity there in a place that some people would look at and I'm like, oh, he swings too much the first pitch. No, nah, I don't like that. Like, no, I think that actually is part of the plan.
1: Oh, here it is. I knew it. I knew Mike Petriello had tweeted something. So Fangraphs has in an interview today with Austin Hayes and was talking about, I'm paraphrasing what Petriello tweeted. is with MLB um, and does a great job. But said, referred to him, how, talking about how a, pre, a, a swing and miss with less than two strikes, is better than just making bad contact. Um, Yeah. And yeah, actually, right? It's okay. You should be aggressive early in the count, especially if you're a really good hitter, which as it turns out, Corbin Carroll is, right? We're fine with that. That is much more about, to me, the whole idea of we can live with strikeouts. Hey, I don't love seeing guys strike out 25 to 30% of the time. And I understand that strikeouts are, to me, they're as much as anything maybe an indicator of of a lack of – Lack of some lack of something in the approach. I don't want to oversimplify, and also I see guys with bad two strike approaches and think, what well, you could, right, you can work on that. Plenty of hitters throughout history have improved their two strike approaches, and you can just be a better hitter if you end up doing that. So to me, that's It, it is extremely frustrating to see a guy who. Refuses to develop a two-strike approach. But you can be more aggressive early in the count, especially if you've shown you have some discipline. And if you're, and especially if your pitch recognition, your ball strike recognition is really good. Your location recognition is ready, is there. So, yeah, I get a little bit frustrated when I see guys without the two-strike approach. But I'm fine with, yeah, you swing at the first pitch. Hey, first pitch is a pretty good chance it's a strike. A lot of pitchers just want to get ahead. Take advantage of that
2: yeah so the overall numbers so far this season 286 batting average uh 363 on base uh 25 uh, homers as we mentioned earlier but also what i love 50 steals and 55 tries this guy does not miss he has he knows when to to take uh, take the extra base and uh and he doesn't uh miss his opportunity is there part of his profile you expect um we're gonna see emerge even more as he matures at the major league level in in years three four five
1: that's a good question looking at The year, I mean, it's hard to say. I think he's going to be better than that going forward. Like, (laughs) no, I don't think so. I guess, uh, you know, I don't know what I just pulled up Baseball Reference because it's faster. I'm a little surprised to see where he is on the, you know, that his defense has come in at below average. Now, it's not my preferred method. I'm pulling as we speak. I am pulling up. Oh, okay, outs above average has him. four runs above okay that's much more yeah
2: i think it's mostly his arm that he's getting dinged for
1: yeah so what
2: really really (laughs) yeah
1: mike trout doesn't have a great arm either
2: sure how time doesn't right now either um way too soon Um, he had surgery. I heard. I don't know what it was, but he had surgery. Yeah, they don't um,
1: tell anybody. I think it's a brace, right? Isn't that what we think? They did the brace.
2: Me, um, I, I didn't say that. Did you say that? Um, no, I didn't say that. I no, we got to keep this. <laughs> we got to keep this cloak and dagger. Um, yeah, they gave as much information as they could without saying what it was. Um, so moving on to the to the front office news of the week. The first bit was uh, the Royals a little bit reshuffling in their front office. Let's see if I have this line up right. VP of MLB scouting Gene Watson is headed to. The White Sox, um, Danny Ontiveros, I believe, is taking his position as VP of Scouting. And then uh, they're bringing in Brian Bridges as the Scouting Director. Um, thoughts on that move?
1: Yeah, so I tweeted this the other day and pointed out, you know, Brian Bridges had a pretty significant impact on the building of this Atlanta roster, of the Atlanta roster that won the World Series. He's both in terms of players who directly contributed. Austin Riley, I think, is probably the best example. And also players who ended up traded in some of the significant deals and even some of the smaller deals that allowed... Alexanthopoulos to build that world champion. So I and when Bridges was dismissed, I was really shocked. I mean his track record was great. Uh people love working for him. He's got a great reputation in the industry. I'm also glad to see Kansas City go for an outside voice. Not against the people there. Kansas City has some really, really great people working there and that starts with the the head of baseball ops and J.J. Piccolo. But They need some outside perspectives. I think that's clear. They've struggled in the draft. Even when they've done things that I thought were good, like the year they went heavy on college pitching in a good college pitching year, that also hasn't worked out. Bring in another perspective. Bring in somebody who's worked, who's had success in the role before, who's worked in a couple of good organizations, and who can just bring in a new voice and can maybe just... You just want to change the philosophy. It's not changing the personnel. I'm not saying Bridges needs to come in and get rid of scouts. I hope he doesn't. I hope he adds scouts, certainly. But I don't think he needs to to change the personnel i just think getting more of uh, a different philosophy in place yeah. will go a really really long way because they need to draft better that's the bottom line for kansas city is obviously kansas city fans are they know as well as anyone they they need more successes more successes out of the draft they're not having them
2: yeah some of the names of those guys he was uh, involved in drafting in that stint in Atlanta was uh, Austin Riley, Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, AJ Minter, Mike Saroga, Colby Allard. You're seeing a lot of arms there. And arms is something the Roy- Royals have taken a – the old college triad and have not been able to get these guys to fully be developed at the major league level. And since he was dismissed there, he's been a national cross checker for I think the last five years for, for the giants. So he's been on the scene. This is not a pull out of nowhere. This is uh, look, this guy had a success and we are trying to tap into something like that.
1: And when I tweeted that yesterday too, got some texts from other people in the industry on the scouting side too, who were saying things like long overdue, Great hire, exactly what they needed. You know, for what it's worth, people who know people who know him, people who know the Royals, people who know the people who do know the the industry, who know the scouting side, it all all were full of praise for the hire. And I, the thing I would keep coming back to it's even less about the specific names, although the list you gave was great. And even guys like Kyle Miller and Freddie Tarnock, who were in the Sean Murphy trade, I think like those were his drafts also when he was scouting director. It's a different philosophy and so one thing that has really bound the royals to the you know, and kept you know worked for them 10 12 years ago and has i think gotten them into trouble is whatever you would call their fault their draft philosophy it just hasn't worked unfortunately and that's why i think again time for a change and, and i do hope um i believe that he will bring in a new philosophy and you'll see some you should see it in the results year one you will probably look and say well this is a different draft whatever the whoever the actual players are it should look very different
2: the other bit of front office news was the Tigers uh, finally hiring their number two in the um, beneath president of baseball ops Scott Harris. They hired Jeff Greenberg as general manager. No, no relation as far as I know to Hammer and Hank Greenberg. Uh, but it doesn't hurt that your last name's already on the outfield wall, right? That's pretty. It might be pressure. I don't know. Um, so he was m- most recently an associate GM of the Chicago Blackhawks, which is a team that played hockey. Um, however, for eleven years, yeah, well. For 11, uh, you don't know. Baseball fans might just be such baseball fans. They don't uh, they don't know. But 11 years uh, before that, he was, for the 11 years before that, he was across um, Chicago with the Cubs. He had done pro scouting, baseball ops, was in his uh, AGM, and the bottom line is he worked with Scott Harris there. So that's sort of where that relationship was built. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Jeff Greenberg or his background, but he's going to come aboard to help the Tigers through the rebuild as uh, just after he was helping the Blackhawks through the rebuild. And um, so any, any intel on, on him and regardless of that, anything that the Tigers can sort of learn from what he was able to go through with the Cubs and maybe draw and and borrow from, from those uh, good old days with Cubs.
1: Yeah. I actually don't believe I know him. I don't believe I've met him. Um, I just know the name, Um, but I've not had any direct interactions with him. I can't even. Give you a secondhand opinion on him. His path is um, he came up basically through the office. Nothing wrong with that. Um, it is, but it was very much through, you know, he was director of baseball apps, worked in pro scouting, assistant to the GM, associate GM. I don't even know what an associate GM is. We're really just making up titles at this point. But it was the, the office path, which used to be actually pretty common. Um, I was think Gord Ash, who was the GM right before I went to the Blue Jays, sort of made his way up on that side, on sort of the business of baseball side as an assistant GM. And if you were an assistant GM for a while, there was always sort of an expectation you would at least be under consideration to replace the current guy whenever he ended up stepping aside. And so I you know i don't have an opinion i can't offer an opinion on this i'm just saying that is his background and i would not expect his introduction to change anything say on the scouting or player development sides if he brings anything new it's going to be likely to things like major league roster construction contract contract philosophy not just how they negotiate or structure contracts but actually how they approach um signing guys or how they structure contracts or who they choose to give contracts to. They're going to have a lot of decisions coming up with some of these young players. Riley Green really broke out this year. Spencer Torkelson appears to be breaking out now. Kerry Carpenter has broken out completely out of nowhere. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. They're probably going to have to start thinking about long-term deals for at least some of these guys. And that is certainly you want someone in the GM chair who's got some experience with that if you're going to be going that direction. And, and I would expect them to do so. That really should be job one for this winter. They have other decisions to make, but that to me is the big one.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Riley Green. If you haven't been following closely, Green just underwent Tommy John's surgery. He's expecting to be ready for the start of uh, next season on his right elbow. So uh, end of a really nice season for him, but uh, has just been sort of dogged by by injuries there. Um, and Speaking of Tommy John, I just have this horrible feeling going to get people coming at me, take heat for Criticizing Shohei Otani in his arm, I, we were simply backing up a um, Corbin Carroll and his arm, and saying it's just fine that he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, I, I wish I wish all the best to Shohei Otani and his right arm. He is um, he is uh, one of the most beautiful things in baseball right now. Is to watch <laughs> Shohei Otani work on both sides of the ball, and I am not at all trying to come for the Shohei Hive. So uh, best wishes to Shohei Otani and his and his. Is that w- better or
1: worse than the BTS Hive?
2: I don't know, but I'm walking that back so far, like so fast and so far. I'm, I want to get out of that one. Um, uh, so you went to Harrisburg for I think your probably last scouting trip of the year before the Arizona Fall League. Um, the big, the big name you started with there was 19 year old Red Sox uh, outfield prospect Roman Anthony. This is a guy who was uh, drafted 79th overall in 2022, signed over slot. And has just had a pretty pretty incredible year. Four hundred three on base percentage, eight forty nine OPS. Advanced hitter uh, at that level. Thoughts on seeing him uh, briefly?
1: Yes, I only saw him briefly because it was that was the game at Reading, and we got there was suspended by rain. But because wow. Portland was putting an absolute hurting on Reading, I got three at bats at out him before the rains came. I nice. got three at bats out of several of the guys. So I was like, well, all right, well this. Stinks. Obviously, this isn't exactly what I was hoping for, but at the same time, like I did get, I got a lot of swings out of a lot of. Things. I got a lot of video for being only there, only being there for about three innings or so. Uh, and the thing that struck me, obviously, I'm familiar with the story. Right, many people have written about, um, you know, Anthony getting promoted from low A to high A despite kind of unimpressive, superficial numbers. Then he goes off in high A. How he's, you know, people are saying he's the best hitter in the system, which I think is probably true at this point. But I hadn't seen it myself, and then getting to see – I literally walked up, for those of you who, who are familiar with Redding, to the – I walked over to the end of the grandstand there. So there's, like, a little corner where you're technically not supposed to stand, but whatever. I stand there until someone tells me to move. It's a great shot of a left-handed hitter. And I walked up, and I see the first swing he takes, and I just thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I saw this guy at NHSI in high school. Did I miss, like, the most beautiful swing in the draft? Was I just completely – like, how tired was I that I didn't see this? And he did it again later in the games, two doubles that were just, like, picture perfect. Like, I want to get the idiots who made trouble with the curve and be like, that's what a real swing looks like. You morons. That's what it looks like. Also, this is where you stand to look at a swing, not behind the hitter because you can't see anything. Never mind. Point is, I get home that night and pull up video I had from when he was in the draft. I'm like, oh, okay, it's a little different now. Good job by the Red Sox, though, because somebody there on the amateur side saw that swing as an amateur and I'm going to assume said, little change here, move his, move where he starts his hands, get him to relax the elbow a little bit. It's going to be picture perfect, and it is. And he's got great play discipline. He's clearly got strong hands, strong forearms to make that hard contact. He's going to get stronger. I mean, this kid can really freaking hit. If you're talking about guys who are not currently in my top 10, but you wanted me to drop a $1,000 on a bet for somebody to just hit, absolutely hit when he gets to the big leagues, he'd be really high up there. It is hard for me to walk away from a swing that looks that good, but we also have good plate discipline and pretty good batted ball data for me to be like, nah, I'm not that confident. Like, I'm overconfident in Roman Anthony hitting now. I kind of liked him as an amateur And then, and then he went out and played really well in, like, 50 at-bats that first summer. I was like, oh, this is a good start. You like to see a high school kid come out and just show some plate discipline. He's not just total—because a lot of them get overmatched. And it's not even like that's the end of the line for them, but you almost kind of expect that or worry about that. And he came out and he showed pretty well. So this is a good sign. Now, I didn't anticipate he was going to have the year he had here. I thought he was a you know really good—he was a 2nd round or a comp-round pick. I think he was 2nd round. But I liked him. I was like, that's a good second-round pick. Kind of like what they did this year. They took Nazan Zanatello, who was, uh, is, really like a hyper-athletic, very, very projectable shortstop out of high school in Missouri. Second round where you want to roll the dice a little bit on some more upsides, especially this year. They took Kyle Teal, the college catcher, with the first pick. Makes a ton of sense. Open it up. Value of a second round. Opportunity cost of a second round pick is much lower. So you can take a little bit more of a risk. I wonder if Anthony coming out as, as strongly as he did helped them say, yeah, we're going to do this again. We're going to go for the upside athlete who's got some ingredients like maybe a good swing that we particularly like and we think we can work with. Because um, Anthony to me looks like a home run right now. No, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah a lot of consternation in Boston these
2: days surrounding the Red Sox but uh, yeah that's a prospect people are really excited about um, they could use they could use some of uh, or a lot of what he provides in that outfield right now uh, as they've sort of been trying to
0: figure things out and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on Direct TV with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy I hope getting all these games on Direct TV makes up for your mother not you and your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com <laughs> claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of rsn's varies by zip code and package high speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
2: Um, So the, we also get into uh, some, some about Dylan Cruz, some about Samuel Basayo, who we've mentioned earlier, so I'll let people go read that in the story, but James Wood and Robert Hassel. I wanted to talk about them for a minute because uh, both of them came over in the Soto trade um, Wood currently has huge strikeout numbers of is in the same boat and is just straight up not hitting since the trade where do the nats go from here with these two guys who had such promise and are are now big question marks compared to where they were a year a year
1: and a half ago yeah so for um let me start with hassle because I think the answer for Hassel is pretty straightforward he needs to get a lot stronger like that's really unfortunately that I think it might be as simple as that like, he is. Probably a bit overmatched um, in terms of strength right now. And, and I just think that's lousy, but I kind of think that's where we're, that's just where things are with him. He's just not strong enough to impact better quality pitching. I think the swing's fine. Um, he's taking a lot of strikes also. And I wonder if some of that is just, I can't drive that pitch. And that is also further the lack of strength and the lack of, of, um, not just not just upper body strength, even like hand and wrist strength, is that informing some of these swing decisions? Like, I'm not I'm not sure, but it seems like a possibility at least. And so, to me, I would say, yeah, I want to see him get a lot stronger. Like, buddy, you got to hit the weight room this winter. Wood is more of a challenge because I think some of this is is pitch recognition, which can be improved, and some of this is height, which can't. Wood is six seven. He's got a huge strike zone, and so. Pitchers are really kind of taking a bit of advantage with him, of him, sorry, with some of their um, working, attacking him to different quadrants of the strike zone with breaking stuff and getting him then to expand. I think he, the game I saw, and he did get called out once on a pitch that I thought was just flat out out of the strike zone, but also was below his knees. That's tough for him. Those are going to be at his knees, always going to be a hard pitch for him to do a whole lot with. But what I really saw them do. Pitchers do that particular night was, uh, you know, attack him with sliders in the zone, and then try to get him to expand the zone and chase sliders down, down and away, just, just plain away, knowing he's already probably a little geared up at that point, thinking slider, and now he doesn't want to miss again, so he's chasing a pitch that he's never going to hit in the first place. It, I mean, it's hard, and I like Wood. He's super talented. He's really fast. Um, he's got a great, great body. It's eighty power. I'm not saying you know. I still think quite highly of him as a prospect. He's hit a an obstacle, not the end of the not a wall, not yeah. the end of the road, but this is a challenge. And this is double A's is hard, man. Double A is like that's a big you know. But this has been true for forever, for for as long as I've been in the industry. Where people say double A is kind of the first really big test. Now, big leagues, obviously, the biggest test of all. But you know, I I do absolutely think this is a a real challenge this is going to be a challenge uh for wood going forward to continue to um to continue to refine his approach because he can tell a ball from a strike it's that stuff the better stuff in the strike zone is really getting him right now and i i hope he can make the adjustment i'm I, by no means am i saying he can't i'm just this is what i saw and i saw some of that from him in high a which was why i was a little dismayed when they bumped him up because from high eight to double X, I don't know if he's actually ready for that.
2: Yeah, I think you could look at the surface numbers and be a little bit, um, I don't know, it could be masking the real problem because you look at high eight, oh, bad a 293, the 392 on base. He had eight homers, eight steals. He goes up, uh, up a level, not terrible, Bad at 248, 334. On base with 18 homers, yeah. You, you maybe if you ignore, can we just ignore the strikeout rate for a minute? It could be okay, but he's also running um, BABIPs of 371 and 339.
1: And so, See, it's if you no- so hard,
2: <laughs> if you even if you normalize some of that down to let's say even 320, then those service numbers don't look quite so good. And you throw a terrible K rate of 33.7 percent at AA on top of that. That's that's concerning me, you know.
1: Well, this is the Spencer Jones issue. He's the Yankees prospect who's six. He's listed at six. 6'6 now. He was listed at 6'7 in college, and it was a lot of swing and miss, and that's been the case with him this year. 155 strikeouts, 537 PA, mostly in high A as a, as an SEC product. But people – and the Yankees are not alone in this. I know scouts are like, that guy hits the ball so hard. He can strike out 30% of the time and still be a good big leaguer. This is going to be an issue for Bryce Eldridge, who was the Giants' first-round pick this year as yeah. a two-way guy. two-way guy. But I think i'm most people – um, on the amateur side, myself included, think his future is much more as a hitter because he's just not that advanced as a pitcher. And but again, he's six seven. Uh, different swings, different guys, every every player is unique. But as a class, six seven hitters do have additional challenges. And yeah, they these guys all hit the ball really hard. That's why we hang on to them but I don't know that anybody's really quite figured out a formula to help those guys as a class. And you cannot, Aaron judge is the great exception. We're still looking for the second one. And as I think Aaron judge is a marvel, but Aaron judge always showed ability to make adjustments, ability to identify weaknesses and close them in a way that very few hitters of any height are able to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Keith, I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, You're heading out to the Arizona fall league in a couple weeks time. Uh, we're still, I believe still waiting for rosters in that one. But if, if I already sort of give you a, a magic wand, anyone you would particularly hope to be able to see out there live.
1: God, didn't we just name a whole bunch of them? Um, you know, <laughs> Sam, of give, them me, give me Sammy Basayo. Give me Dylan. Dill- no, you know, mostly, I don't think any of these draftees are going to show up. Yeah. Um, like the Cubs put their list out and Matt Shaw wasn't on it. And part of me was like, grumble, grumble, grumble. Like, I want to see him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Do I really need to see him? At this point, okay, no, I've seen I saw Shaw this spring. There's tons of video. like you know I know guys you've seen him i'm 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 good with Matt Shaw, but of course, I want to see, I'm selfish. Of course, I want to see more of him. Um, that's a good question. Who would I love to see more of? I mean, I don't know that Churio needs to play more. Yeah. Basio, I wish I could see him catch, but I'm sure it's the same thing. Do they just want to tell him? Just hey, buddy, that's a long season. You were great take the rest of the year off I'm trying to think of a guy who's a guy who if you have someone let me know who's a guy who missed some time you know with a non you know an injury that he's back from because those those tend to be the best players in fall league, right it's the guy who missed two months because he had a hamstring pull and the teams hey we want to have you go out there and get some more at-bats now I did see the Cubs said Kevin Alcantara is going out there awesome. Love Alcantara, cannot wait to see that guy. Um, and I still think there's quite a bit of growth ahead of him. He's a really good example of somebody who's who I think can benefit from it, too. It's a chance for him to face a little better quality of pitching than what he faced this year, but there's... Quite a bit of variability too in the best pitching and the worst pitching you'll see, and you can also like the games don't really count; they kind of count just a little bit. So you can mess around a little bit, you can try new things. It's a great development environment in addition to a great scouting environment. So I don't know if you've—I mean—feel free if you have players you'd like to nominate. Also, I don't know, maybe we can <laughs> no, still I'm, influence the process.
2: I think it might be too far down the road. I'm furiously scrolling through your top sixty from midseason, um, but we'll. Um, We'll see. Can I shut up can Colt Keith get there? I want to
1: see more of Colt Keith. I would love um, to see. He was there last year and he was really good. That was my first yeah. like real look at Colt Keith. I was like, man, every time this guy hits the ball, it's pretty loud. That's not nothing, right? Like I know my ears are not an exit velocity measurement <laughs> tool, but after a while, you're just like every time this guy's hit it, it's been hard that's probably something sure enough it was and then he had a real break yeah. i mean i probably should have been more aggressive with him but i had questions about the position i don't care anymore guy can freaking hit i don't yeah. care if he's a first baseman in the end
2: yeah he's, he's had a pretty a whole healthy season 123 games at double and triple a so uh they may just say hey hey go take a go have a nice fall watch some football
1: um, uh, you know i understand that i'm just greedy right i go to the fall league i want to see all the players give me all the good players
2: that's right. All right, we're gonna hit the exits. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Tim McMaster for producing today's show. You can find all of Keith's work at theathletic.com. Subscribe to the Athletic for one dollar per month for the first year during our extended summer sale at the athletic.com slash baseball show. The Athletic Baseball Show will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend.